It's Friday. That means it's time for our weekly news recap, where we break down the biggest news stories of the week. Stories like these. Chicago's 11th Ward Alderman Patrick Daly Thompson has submitted a resignation letter to Mayor Lori Lightfoot. He was convicted on Monday on all seven counts in his federal tax fraud trial. It is now up to Mayor Lori Lightfoot to appoint somebody to replace Alderman Patrick Daly Thompson. Jesse White is announcing this morning that he is endorsing Anna Valencia for Secretary of State. Billionaire Ken Griffin confirms he has donated $20 million to the campaign of Republican candidate Richard Irvin. I can't do this alone. My panel today, WTTW political correspondent Amanda Vinicky of Chicago Tonight. Welcome back, Amanda. Glad to be here. Thanks so much, Sasha Ryan. And David Greising, president and CEO of the Better Government Association, a Chicago-based investigative journalism nonprofit. Welcome back, David. Thank you, Sasha. So glad to be with you. So Illinois' gubernatorial race kicked into high gear this week with billionaire Ken Griffin backing Aurora Mayor Richard Irvin with a $20 million campaign donation. So, David, you talked to Griffin. What did you find out? Well, I found out that the what everybody had expected was indeed going to happen. His backing of uh, Ken Griffin's backing of Richard Irvin with the $20 million initial contribution. There is talk that this could rise up to as much as $300 million. Griffin wouldn't confirm that. He said he preferred to keep Governor J.B. Pritzker guessing. Uh, it's believed that, that Pritzker, if he needs to, would also spend a similar amount. So what we have is two of the state's wealthiest people duking it out over who gets to run the state uh, yeah. for the next four years. Well, since Ken Griffin, just a little bit of cash to run for statewide office these days, (laughs) just a little. Well, since since Ken Griffin is having such an important role in the upcoming election, can you remind us who he is, David? Yes, he's the founder of Citadel, which is one of the biggest trading firms uh, in the world. And he has made a big issue out of the fact that uh, the, the violent crime in the city is uh, is making it difficult to recruit uh, employees to companies like Citadel. They are one of the city's largest employers, and they're looking to make some major investment in uh, not just here in Chicago, but also New York and possibly Florida. And so it's very much a kind of bottom line issue for him and also issues like education. And he is uh, financial, fiscally very conservative and has been quite critical of the governor for not doing more to get the state spending in line and to address the pest, uh, pension shortfall. He single-handedly helped defeat Governor Pritzker's fair tax or graduated mm-hmm. income tax by spending a lot of money there. And David, well, I'll add, he's also been hypercritical of Pritzker on crime, which already we know to be a hallmark of Irvin's campaign as well as other Republican candidates trying to go mm-hmm. after Democrats on that. Well, Amanda, Pritzker's also one of the wealthiest people in Illinois, right? That's why some are calling this race the battle of the billionaires. How much money has he put into his campaign war chest? Oh, my gosh. I I, I want to say at last count, something like $120 million. So wow. when we're talking, could get up to $300 million. Heck, we're nearly halfway there already. And we still have a whole lot of election yet left. Things are really just kicking off. So uh, I'm, that is where another comment from Griffin has been, that because there are a lot of accusations, is Richard Irvin going to be his puppet? Irvin taking issue with that and saying, I'm my own man, I'm nobody's, I'm also not independently wealthy and therefore need 
the contributions from individuals such as Ken Griffin in order to be able to go to battle against somebody like Pritzker, who's got the independent wealth to do this, run a campaign on his own. And that is what Pritzker did, of course, in order to beat Rauner, mm-hmm. uh, his predecessor, another wealthy individual. And by the way, Sasha Ann, not just him, we're also seeing uh, the U-lines begin to contribute to Darren Bailey. He is also running for the GOP nomination for governor. Daly has a, uh, Bailey, that is, pardon me, has a whole lot of name recognition, he was a state representative, is a state senator, and has been very involved in some of these anti-COVID mandate lawsuits. And so now he has the backing of Dick Uline, mm-hmm. who, of course, has been a contributor um, and backer of President Donald Trump, inclu- Trump, including some of the organizations that tried to that were involved in the January um, insurrection last year. Uh, well, uh, sticking right. with you, Amanda, another statewide race is heating up. Secretary of State Jesse White has uh, endorsed a candidate in the race to succeed him. Update us on that. So, yes, this is huge for Anna Valencia, who folks might know when they have to get their city sticker and such, given that she is the clerk for Chicago right now. Uh, This is a huge boost for her campaign, which had, truth be told, been lagging somewhat when it comes to, again, all important, uh, whether you like it or not fundraising. Mm-hmm. Alexi Janulius, the former state treasurer who got out of politics after he lost a bid to be a U.S. senator, um, he is, has something like $4 million in the bank at this point. She is incredibly trailing there. I do expect her fundraising to go in the other direction now that she has the endorsement of Jesse White, who is arguably Illinois' most popular politician, perhaps even ever, setting records for winning all counties in the state, uh, getting the most votes, millions of votes, lots of support, name recognition, and of course, we all know the Jesse White tumblers. So this yes. is huge for Anna Valencia. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We're going behind the headlines on the weekly news recap with WTTW political correspondent Amanda Vinicky of Chicago Tonight and David Grising, president and CEO of the Better Government Association. Amanda, Another alderman has joined the city ha- city council hall of shame. This one's got a name that we all recognize too, right? Give us the details. Yeah, Alderman Patrick Daly Thompson, or I guess I should say former. Now, given that he was found guilty, he has to step down from his city council seat, and he did just that on Wednesday. So he, uh, we, we no longer have a daily in the Chicago City Council. It certainly is quite a fall for the daily dynasty, as I've been terming it. There still is a, a daily serving elected office. That's, of course, Cook County Commissioner John Daly. But uh, this is going to be something that we'll all be watching, given that mm-hmm. the Chicago City Council uh, has still not agreed on a new map that would determine the wards in 2023 and beyond. Mm-hmm. And there have been a lot of calls and really a consensus that there be an Asian-American uh, majority ward. And Patrick Daly Thompson had sort of been pushing back on that, wanting to protect his turf. He's no longer there. So the mayor has 60 days, starting from Wednesday, to appoint somebody to fill that vacancy. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of calls that she does appoint an Asian-American leader to that post. Well, weigh in here, David. What does his conviction mean for the Daly dynasty? 
Well, it would look like the daily bloodline has pretty much run out now because there's nobody lined up, uh, no cousin or uh, other relative with that daily name lined up to step in there. It's not so long ago. Uh, Bill Daly ran against Lori Lightfoot and for a while was considered a front runner in that race. And of course, we went through, uh, before Rahm Emanuel, we went through five terms of his brother, Richard M. Daly, the son of uh, the family patriarch, Richard J. Daly, who was mayor for uh, many, many years. And so um, this brings to an end this, uh, you know, the, the Kennedys are to Massachusetts and Boston what the Daly's are to Chicago. And, mm-hmm. and it looks as if perhaps that era is over. And uh, it really speaks to the political transformation of the city to a place where uh, people can come out of virtually nowhere and wind up uh, in the halls of power and really pulling the, all the levers, as is happening now um, with Mayor Lightfoot and others who are running the city. Yeah, well, you know, David, you're the head of a group called the Better Government Association, right? So what I'm hearing you say is that this is incredibly damaging for the people of Chicago and the city's reputation when we continue to find out about corrupt politicians. Well, yes, it feeds into that notion. We've had more than 30 aldermen over the years uh, go to jail. We've had, uh, what, four governors go to jail. Uh, There is something in the DNA of politics in Illinois. We have the immediate past Speaker of the House in the the, um, crosshairs of a federal corruption investigation. And it just speaks to the fact that there are these issues with regard to governance in Illinois, that the old pay-to-play system is still alive and, and kicking. This was not, though, I need to point out, this Daily, Patrick Daly Thompson thing was not a um, public corruption case. He just lied to a bank multiple times, and he's going to jail for it. Right. Uh, he was not using, so far as we know, he was not using his office, as is alleged, say, against or Alderman Ed Burke, who still goes to work uh still shows up in city council meetings, even though he's under indictment for using his office uh, for his own personal benefit. Hmm. David, that to me is really the incredible part, because as you noted, this is a different sort of situation. Arguably, Patrick Daly Thompson would not have been in that situation were it not for the Daly in his name. He wouldn't have gotten this perk of a loan. He argued that he's just sort of bad with paperwork and had been consumed with other things. But uh, it is then notable to watch that many members of the city council have stuck by Daley Thompson saying, you know, this is unfortunate, this is sad, versus some of the more, um, I guess, strident language that is used against some of their former colleagues when they're ousted for corruption issues more directly tied to their office. And Mm. I think we cannot ignore that it is Burke still on the city council, even though this started long before Patrick Daley Thompson's issues with the feds. And further, also, Alderwoman Carrie Austin, the similar position for using her office for corrupt means and nonetheless sitting member of the city council and staying there. Well, David, any speculation on who the mayor might pick to replace Daley Thompson? No names have surfaced that I'm aware of, but, but uh, Amanda's point is very important that there is an expectation that um, uh, Mayor Lightfoot will appoint an, an Asian-American to that office, to that position, because the, the remapping of the wards that is due to happen very soon, and is a matter of some dispute yet today, uh, it is expected that the 11th ward will become the one uh, uh, 
ward whose demographics would be dominated by by Asian Americans, and so therefore appointing that a person to that position who who is an Asian American would would make sense. Right. Well, to that end, this week a new group is is stepping in to back the Latina caucuses version of the map. Update us on that, David. Well, yeah, this has been a dispute, a long-running dispute between really uh, the Black Caucus and the Latino Caucus, uh, really fighting over who's going to uh, seize more control over city council. Right now, um, they're, they're, as it stands, the, the Latino Caucus uh, is rallying around um, a map that would increase their representation uh, to as many as 15 positions. Uh, the Black Caucus... Uh, would see its uh, kind of black-dominated wards go down from 18 to 15. Uh, that's in part representative of the fact that that, that uh, blacks in Chicago in the last census, census lost 10 percent of their population in the city. The Latinos uh, saw a 5 percent increase. They're now virtually even in terms of their representation in the population. And so the move to uh, introduce a map that would uh, re- reflect that, those changes has been very much underway. The thing is, it's unlikely that either of the maps that are being circulated are going to get the 41 votes that are needed by May 19th hmm. in order to uh, be on the have a ballot by uh, June 28th, which is when the primary happens. And so this could well go to a public referendum in the fall. So if, if the city council can't come to an agreement on the map... Amanda? Right. Yeah, that's what will will happen. This will go to referendum. It'll be up to voters. I think that that is going to be a very uh, bizarre thing to do because this is confusing stuff, right? I mean, it's a map. How do you vote on such a thing? There's going to be more money spent, uh, more turmoil. You have, even just before this uh, show began taping, we have a letter from the chair of the redistricting committee, um, Alderwoman Harris, issuing a letter saying there is still time for compromise. That said, the letter does not seem to give much tone to compromise, accusing the leader of the Latino caucus, Alderman Villegas, uh, to say, characterizing him as, quote, intent on fighting and saying that we've done, we've created similar maps, quote, are we really at odds over one seat that will remain a black, not a Latino opportunity ward? So, neither side giving in when it comes to members of the Black Caucus or the Latino Caucus. But um, to your sort of original question, Latino Caucus's version getting somewhat of a boost, given that a independent organization led by Change Illinois had come forward with their own map that didn't get any traction in the city council. Now, they are backing the Latino map. I don't think that's necessarily going to change votes, but perhaps Latino caucus will be Mm -hmm. able to advertise and promote on that should this go to referendum, something that when you talk to members, uh, certain older people, they, they do seem fairly resigned to that being the case. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. You're listening to Reset's Weekly News Recap, where we take you beyond the headlines of the week's top local stories. Before the break, we were talking about the gubernatorial race heating up and a member of the Daily Dynasty being convicted of tax fraud. But there's a lot more to get to. 
The Chicago Park District has a new board president. Mayor Lori Lightfoot has announced she's picked former Chicago Public Schools official Maiti Hamilton to fill the opening. Settlements for three lawsuits against the Chicago Police Department are on the agenda today for the City Council Finance Committee. Prosecutors say this man, 37-year-old Joseph Igartua, was stalking the mayor. Tensions rising today in the Illinois State Capitol over mask rules. Business slowed for a second day in the Illinois House as most Republicans walked off the floor to protest the rules. WTTW political correspondent Amanda Vinicky of Chicago Tonight and David Grising, president and CEO of the Better Government Association, are here to help us make sense of the week's news. Amanda, there were some legal developments in that federal corruption case involving former House Speaker Mike Madigan. What is the latest there? I believe this is actually first reported by WBEZ that legal um, SEC filings from AT&T that the feds are looking to perhaps take legal action regarding a 2017 contract. Apparently, this is a contract for some $22,000. And the grand scheme of things, not necessarily a not a minor contract when it comes to government relations or lobbying, but also not a huge one. Um, AT&T's Illinois division here saying that they believe that any legal action would be without merit, that they were in the right, dotted their eyes, crossed their AT&T's um, when it came to that. But this is certainly uh, something that we've known really since reporting by the Chicago Tribune since July of 2020, mm-hmm. that AT&T was among those that received subpoenas in relation to an ongoing investigation into former Illinois House Speaker Michael Madigan, Madigan, who, by the way, continues to say emphatically that he did nothing illegal. Mm-hmm. Well, House Democrats approved a retired judge to be Illinois' new legislative inspector general. Fill us in, Amanda. Who is Michael McCuskey? What exactly does this legislative IG do? So this is the watchdog that is supposed to make sure that members of the state legislature are not acting outside the bounds of their ethical rules and laws. Uh, Mind you, got to point out that uh, Illinois has been without one, not all for that long, really, just since January, but that was after previously going literally years with this this position being vacant. And given, as we've been talking about, uh, an unfortunate tension for uh, corruption among certain elected officials, it's incredibly important for a watchdog like this to be overseeing the General Assembly. Um, it comes as Chicago is without a watchdog to oversee, for example, the, the city council, because that position has also been left vacant. In both of these instances, both older people, lawmakers, knew that they were going to be in this position. So mm-hmm. it's really sort of uh, frustrating that a position this important would be able to be empty for um that said in illinois the former watchdog who held this position resigned because she said it is a position without teeth that the general assembly has designed to make it difficult for a watchdog to actually do any of that true watch uh, watching over that, that that they that she does not have the power and the teeth that she would need to be able to ferret out wrongdoing mm. um, this judge who will be getting this position is going to be getting it just with the support of democrats uh democrats say republicans only stood in the way of appointing somebody that would uh, that that they had preferred Republicans point the fingers right back at Democrats and say that Democrats use their supermajority rule to get somebody in place without vetting that 
of a citizens committee as the protocol called for in an attempt to make sure that whoever got this position would be somebody who could carry out those duties without fear of partisanship. So well, still kind of murky there. It's yeah. Important, it's important to point out, Sasha, that the, the impact of that is that it kind of undermines the in, in independence of that office, that it's seen now as more of a political appointee than a, than a bipartisan appointee. And against the context of Carol Pope's resignation that is in saying that this is a paper uh, overseer. Paper tiger. It, it's a paper tiger because there's just not enough uh, power in that office uh, can't issue a subpoena without approval uh, from the commission that oversees it, for example. Uh, it really does put Illinois in a bad state when it comes to uh, keeping a watch on a legislature that has its problems. There's a sitting member there who is under indictment right now in the yeah. state Senate and uh, one who died who was under indictment, et cetera. We've got some of the same problems we were talking about earlier, and this is a very important office. It's unfortunate that it has been politicized in the way it has been. Well, gee, gang, I feel like we're just the bearers of bad news this week. <laughs> well, here we go. There was also some chaos in Springfield yesterday, resulting in several lawmakers being kicked off the floor of the House. Let's take a listen. Representative Collins, is that a cloth mask that you're wearing? Is that a cloth mask? You know, I mean, do you know how many other people are wearing cloth masks in here? Clearly not me, because I'm not going to wear a mask that the CDC has already said is ineffective. Think about when you leave this chamber and you're at these parties, these dinners, having a good time with everybody, and you're not wearing a mask. Don't be hypocrites here today. I literally just walked over there and talked to a couple of your members and put my mask on because I was going to be within six feet of them. Mind your own business. Mitigate your own risk. David, talk to me. You were in Springfield yesterday as this was going on. What was that about? <laughs> yeah, well, that was about just this, this ongoing social and political dispute over mask wearing and vaccinations, et cetera, et cetera. It speaks to the polarization of our times. And it really just shut down the entire proceedings. Um, I, I happened to be meeting with one of the lawmakers when this happened, and, and uh, he was dragged out and, and put, you know, ran, to the, ran to the floor to try to help sort things out. Um, uh, everybody was standing around the ring there uh, outside all the, all the lobbyists, and the, et cetera, who typically wait to meet with lawmakers while well, everybody was locked inside for hours trying to sort out, okay, do they all need to take their temperatures? Because Representative Dan Calkins pointed out that nobody had been, had their temperature taken as is now required under the rules, et cetera. This was a big mess and it boiled down into a dispute over are, is there a lot of political grandstanding going on or is are the elected representatives there to serve the people and do mm -hmm. the people's business which is what Lakeisha Collins was 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 saying uh um when uh when this dispute rose up is we should not be talking about this ridiculous stuff we should be doing the people's business and that was the shame that it got all shut down uh, yeah. for as long as it did well let's let's stay on masks for a brief moment amanda illinois schools won't be required to mandate face masks for students tell us about the appeals court ruling that came in last night Oh, Sasha, and this is such a mess, and I think it is going to continue to be a debacle and a lot of pressure, really, for school boards and for concerned parents, whether they be those who 
want all children to be masks and are frightened about their own kids, or whether it be students and families that are over-required masking and are upset that this is the case and are going to continue to put pressure on it in that regard. Um, the governor still says there should be a standing statewide mask mandate encouraging all children to wear them as well as teachers in schools because of an executive order. We got just around midnight last night an order that does not contemplate the governor's executive order that mandates masking. Instead, really dealing with um, Department of Public Health rule. What is the situation now is the governor and attorney general plan to make an appeal to the Illinois Supreme Court. As it stands, what you really have is a lot of districts now making their own choice, where this is going to be something for local control up to individual districts to determine whether they are going to continue to require masks or to make them optional. Chicago Public Schools, by the way, it will continue to be mandatory, even though they were part of this original court case that said, no, in those particular districts, masks can't be required. And that's because CPS says that a collective bargaining agreement with the Chicago Teachers Union takes yeah. precedence and stands. All right, let's turn to city council. They were busy yesterday. A committee approved the mayor's gang asset forfeiture ordinance. David, this is meant as a way to fight violent crime, but it's got a lot of critics. Yes, it absolutely does have critics. And frankly, um, they have a decent point. Uh, The mayor uh, plan to take away assets from gang leaders in particular has been attacked by Sharon Mitchell, the um, uh, public guard, uh, public defender, uh, saying that this won't do any good, and it's, it, as she said, ripe for abuse. Uh, Carlos Ramirez Rosa, the alderman, uh, talked about a return to 80s-style uh, police tactics uh, that are out of step with what is really needed in the city right now. And we this could become an issue, frankly, in the mayoral election. A couple of weeks ago, Arne Duncan, who is considering a run for mayor, he made the point that was interesting, which is that Gang people don't have assets. There's this idea of these gang leaders driving around in Bentleys and other cars, et cetera. And, and Arnie Duncan was saying this is a bad idea and it probably won't be very effective either. And so the mayor, uh, as she has, has for the last couple of years, uh, continued to try to find tactics that will somehow uh, reduce this huge surge in violent crime that is a blot on us on our city and probably her biggest political liability. Um, This tactic doesn't seem like it's going to take root very, very well at all. Well, another city council committee approved several police misconduct settlements. Can you quickly walk us through those, David? Well, right. We've, you know, this is another issue that we have seen, which is policing that is uh, in violation of people's civil rights or outright dangerous. Uh, we've, we, there's, uh, you know, over the last ten years, uh, according by to reporting by WBEZ, uh, there's been half a billion dollars in police settlements for various forms of police misconduct. And so the latest tally uh, has to do with the kind of things that we see. Uh, for example, uh, a, a young, a 13-month-old uh, child named Dylan Harris in 2015 was killed by uh, somebody being chased by police, uh, a, a chase that went on for four miles at speeds of between 60 and 75 miles per hour in 25-mile-per-hour zones. And Dylan Harris and his mother, Chattrell McComb, were on their way to the zoo on a 
sunny Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And so she got a $1.4 million settlement uh, that, that is yet to be approved by all council, but the city council finance committee approved it. Another case of interest was uh, the $1.68 million offered uh, to Mia Wright, uh, who was dragged out of her car and uh, had a police officer kneel on her neck uh, at the at, at the time of the um, uh, George Floyd protest in 2020. Uh, a number of people who were with her would maybe would probably share in this settlement, and um, this became a bit of an issue at City Council, where a couple of aldermen stood up and and uh, Nick Spizzato from the Northwest Side said, you know, why were these people there? Everybody knew there was looting and rioting going on. Were they really there to shop? And of course, that got a, a pretty outraged reaction from uh, Jason Irvin, a West Side Garfield Park alderman, saying, don't black people have a right to go up to the Brickyard Mall on the Northwest Side and shop? I, and so, it, these are some really lightning rod issues and the police misconduct um, that we've seen again and again uh, remains a problem uh, despite efforts to uh, provide better training and solve some of the police department's issues. Well, we're almost out of time, but Amanda, I do want to touch on one final thing. That's the scandal-plagued Chicago Park District. They've got a new board president. Yes, they do have a new board president, and that is in part thanks again to the reporting of WBEZ there. Um, and so this is Maiti Hamilton, who I believe right now has a nonprofit, she'll be replacing. Uh, frankly, pretty politically connected former president, and that is Ava LaBelle. The charge will be to restore trust in the Park District after that long-going scandal with a mishandling of very important claims of sexual harassment, sexual abuse in the mm-hmm. aquatic division, and particularly with lifeguards. But this comes a new board president, but still there's no permanent superintendent, no permanent CEO. Somebody is acting as the superintendent right now, um, but there is an ongoing search for somebody to permanently hold that position. That is WTTW political correspondent Amanda Vinicky of Chicago Tonight and David Grising, president and CEO of the Better Government Association. Thank you both for joining us. Want more context on the top issues of the day? Find the podcast WBEZ's Reset wherever you listen.